Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. As we just begin with our fifth reading of Lent, as we contemplate and begin to prepare our hearts for that Easter Sunday, and we celebrate, we celebrate it every day, especially on Communion Day, but also then as we have this year's Easter, God wants people to be happy. The only way that we can be happy is to by following His instructions. So He gave us His Word, His written Word, to make very clear to us where our life comes from and how we can keep it. But again and again, we think that our ideas are better than God's, and we turn from life to death. So Scripture says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I, Daniel, prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servant, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. That's the Word of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You for these children. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Lord, each one is precious. Father, thank You for the opportunity to plant in them just that seed of who you are, that you are a great loving God who is calling people, even children, to you. We thank you for this beautiful morning. We receive it with joy and thankfulness. Let us lift you up with one voice, unified in proclaiming your majesty and your worth. Grant us today a greater measure of faith, and let that faith strengthen us and encourage us in our daily walk. Send your Holy Spirit to empower us to fight sin, confess sin, and forgive. Today we seek your wisdom. Give to us generously and liberally discernment and understanding. As we open your word, move in a mighty way in order that we might align our thinking towards acceptance and obedience of your commands. Thank you for your word, for they are pure and true. And Give us a hunger and thirst for your revelation. We pray this in the name of your precious Son. And all of God's people said, Amen. I need to apologize this morning. 
I shared with you that I was not going to take one verse at a time, that we were going to go at a little faster speed. But after going through this passage of Scripture, I realized that my original message was going to be about two hours long. So I figured I'd better do some cutting. And so we're going to look at James chapter 1, verse 5. We're looking at it in the section of verses 5 through 8. I've titled this section, Remaining Stable in an Unstable World. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like this is the world, especially two weeks ago, that the world is just moving under your feet? Some of you in the Brea, Fullerton, La Habra area might feel that a little bit more the last few weeks. But it seems like we're just living in an unstable world. It seems like the things that you and I took for granted are no longer things that we can take for granted. The influence that we once had is no longer our influence. The favor that we once had is no longer the favor that we enjoy today. And so we live in an unstable world, but yet God has called us to remain stable. Last week we looked at, count it all joy, my brothers, when you find yourselves in various trials and suffering. And we looked at that. And just as a matter of review, I'd share with you is what we needed to learn from last week's scripture was simply this, is that we saw that it was our need to understand that God is a good, wise providential king who loves his children and desires for them to grow spiritually strong, ready to face and endure all adversary with joy. Amen? Now, all of us, after hearing that message, you went home and you clicked that off on your to-do list, and this week you've had no problems with any suffering and trials, right? You've received all of it with joy, and not only that, you're saying, bring it on, Give me some more I want to grow, right? No pain, no gain, right? All right. So some of you have done that. The rest of you are like me and say, wait a second. I may understand that in some degree, but yet, or you may say I may accept it, but I don't truly understand it, one of the two. What we've learned is that trials and the sufferings of life, and there are some of you that are going through some very difficult sufferings, and some difficult trials, they can be everything from financial to a marriage or relationships. It could be to some very uh, tragic health incident or maybe just some other things that are just bringing life and it seems like it's just pushing in on you. What we learned from last week, as John, James tells us, is that trials are designed to keep us dependent on God. Their purpose is to drive us is to drive us to a greater dependency on God. And so a good mark of where you are in your Christian faith is when things happen to you, does it drive you to God or does it drive you away? I pray that it drives you closer to God, into His arms. Or sometimes we just need to say, Dad, that's it, I can't take it anymore. But many times our pride and our ignorance, and our stubbornness refuses to allow us to do so. And at the same time as that drives us or should drive us to God, we're not to doubt or to question God's goodness, but to trust Him during these difficult times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, we saw this several, uh, maybe last year or so when we went through 2 Corinthians, Paul illustrated this attitude of suffering with joy trials in which it drove him to dependency on God. When he said that a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. 
He says, three times I pleaded to the Lord, please take this away from me. But he said to me in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, what does Paul say when God says that? Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, in my suffering, in my trials, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And I love his last statement. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You feel that way? When you pray to God and you say, why? Please. And he comes back and says, my grace is sufficient. I won't give you enough grace to cover it for the rest of your life. I'll give you just the grace that you need right at this exact moment. Do you receive that with joy? And say, go good for the sake of Christ. I get to be weak and now I feel strong. Well, if we're honest, probably not. I don't know too many men and women that have reached that type of maturity in a consistent basis. How does one attain this type of attitude like Paul? How can we even comprehend this way of thinking instead of saying, oh God, we say, oh me. Well, scripture commands us to embrace trials with joy because they produce spiritual growth. However, the only way that you and I can do that and believe in a good king is to have wisdom to help us to understand and discern what God is doing in our lives. So with that, we're in James chapter 1, and we're in verse 5. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Father, we come before you, and we're going to ask for wisdom. Give us discernment. Send your Holy Spirit and His ministering angels now to work in our hearts. Take the words and snatch them out of the air. Plant them deep in the hearts that have been prepared this week so they may receive it with gladness and let it grow, Father. And we look forward and rejoice to give testimony to the fruit that it will bear. Lord, let me speak words that are edifying. Give us wisdom and discernment to understand the difference between my words and your words. And Lord, may you just fill up what's lacking in our hearts, in my speech, in my, in my wisdom, and in my teaching. Lord, that you may be glorified. We pray this in your name once again. Amen. There's three commands that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. The first command in James chapter 1, 5 through 8 is the command to walk in wisdom. The command to walk in wisdom. And then we're going to look at, we are commanded to ask God for wisdom. As you can see from that verse, this is very self-explanatory. The thing about James, it's pretty simple, is it not? And then number three, we're to ask, to, or we're commanded to ask boldly in faith. But today, you and I are going to explore the command to walk in wisdom. And you may say, wait a second, I don't see this command. Well, this command is implicit. It's assumed by John when he commands them to ask for wisdom with they lack it. If you lack wisdom... Ask. There's the command to walk in wisdom. 
So I want to talk about wisdom today. So another, before we go into the main part of the message in the next few weeks, is we need to understand what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Let me tell you first what it is not. Wisdom in Scripture does not refer to philosophical speculation. And we all know those type of people, right? Just go to any Starbucks with a guy with a goatee who's reading a book, sit down and start talking to him, and you'll find yourself in the clouds, running around circles, never knowing what he's talking about. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? I have. I had one guy for a while that I was meeting with. Uh, I got connected with him through Bob Muse. And it was so funny. For those of you who remember Bob Muse, Bob Muse and this guy was just like oil and water. Bob would just look at him and just say, what? And so he introduced me as kind of an intermediary. And this guy still, he was one of those guys that would never admit to any truth. Because anything was truth, he would try to find some type of shadow with it, right? And he just, he's like, he's like a dog circling his tail. He can never get it. And that's kind of what he was going and talking about. And that type of thing just drives me crazy. It's the Socrates approach, right? Always ask questions, never write anything down, and never really have an answer to it. Just go around and around and around and around. And many times we think those people must be wise just by their speaking. Wisdom does not refer, though, also to natural common sense. And that's a lot of times we'll think it's just that old southern country, you know, common sense. And there is a sense in which many times that is very good and that's probably more needful than cloud and ivory tower type stuff. But wisdom is not just some common sense. But what we also see is the wisdom that the world holds dear, that it propagates, is actually foolishness to God. First Corinthians tells us, Paul says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So let me give you some definitions here. Wisdom, according to Wayne Grumman in his systematic theology, is the belief that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. In other words, God's wisdom is his attribute where he always chooses what is right and what is good and what is best. And so for you and I, that's a communicable trait. That means that's a trait he passes to us as his children is the belief that we can trust that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. And that's why I said last week is that when God gives us suffering in our life, that is God's best for us. How many of you have ever taken the time? You can raise your hands. I'd like, I'd like to know. How many of you have ever just sat back and say, I wish my life was different. I wish I didn't have to go through A, B, or C. Anybody ever had, ever took some time just philosophically to, to think that? What if I would have done this? Oh, if I could have just had this. But let me tell you, this life that I live is not only the best, but it's the best of all possible things that God could have come up with. So God is a good, wise king in which it produces the goals that he desires. James Moo, who's another pastor and commentator, writes that wisdom is the means by which the godly can both discern and carry out the will of God. So in his case, wisdom is something that you and I can attain to help us discern and carry out the will of God. And you and I need that when it comes to dealing with suffering, when it comes to dealing with life, when it comes to dealing with the Word. John MacArthur writes that wisdom simply is the skill to live a life pleasing to God. 
So it's a choice. Wisdom is a matter of choices in which we choose God's best plan. It comes from reading and obeying the Word of God. As it's written in Psalms 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You see, the only way that you and I can endure trials and sufferings with joy is to do so with wisdom, to trust in God, to understand that God is wise and the best. Now, you and I may not be able to comprehend and understand all that God may be doing in our lives. And what's that purpose? I get that many times. Why is this happening to me? Why does God choose this? And there are some things that are just tragic and drastic. And sometimes I've learned, especially as a chaplain with the fire department, is many times you just don't answer that question. For how can you? Anything you say will be tried. The only thing I can do is pray, Lord, for you are a good, wise king who declared all things that are good and that are the best. We may not be able to comprehend and understand all that God is doing in our life. But you and I, as James shares here, must confidently trust that he knows best. He's the original father knows best. So wisdom is a belief that God always chooses the best goals. It is the skill of living a life that's pleasing to God. It's the ability to both discern and carry out the will of God in which it pleases Him. The importance of wisdom. You say, well, why do I need that? Why can't I just figure it out for myself? Well, you can see why we have that. We can talk about false gospels. We can talk about churches that have lost the gospel, no longer even pretending to do so. But let me share with you several things. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Some of these things will be familiar because we looked at them uh, some time ago. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, we see without wisdom you and I would perish. Without wisdom you and I would perish. For he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, speaking of the worldly wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Look at verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Without wisdom, you and I would perish. Without wisdom, there would be no preaching. There would be no cross. The second thing we would see is in Matthew chapter 7, a famous portion of Scripture on the Sermon on the Mount, is that we find that without wisdom, our labors in life would be futile. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he gives a famous story that we sing about. He says, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And what happens to the one who builds his house on the rock? When the winds come and the waves come, speaking about life, the trials and the severity and the journey of life, he says at the end of that, that house stands what? Firm. But listen to what he says in verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rains fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it 
fell. Without wisdom, all of our labor is in vain. All that we do for God will not stand. And I'm concerned that some of us here have been building on beachfront property. And the sand and the water is just eroding away. Please, if you're here this morning, hear the words of God and do them. That was the difference, was it not? Between the one who is wise and the one who is fool, they both heard God's word. Some of you today will hear what I say, and you'll walk out the door and it won't make a difference. Some of you, by God's great pleasure, will hear the word and will receive it, accept it, and contemplate it, and put it to life. That is that of the wise. So I pray that you would examine your heart, for without wisdom our labors would be futile. And then in Proverbs, turn to that if you would. We'll be in Proverbs quite a bit, so if you're in Proverbs, you can be right about where home base is going to be for just a little bit. As we look at the importance of wisdom, without it, we would perish. Without our labors, it would be futile. And then thirdly, wisdom keeps you and I from sin and destruction of death. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, that first verse. He says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as his in treasures. Then verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up, and here's where we're going to see, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the way of His saints. If you're feeling the sway and the motion of life as it starts to just toss you to and fro, stand firm in the foundation of Christ, hearing His words taken in the life. Why? Because it will save you from the sin and the destruction of death. Hear his words today. Third point I want to make from this passage is that God is the source of wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. It does not come from book knowledge. It does not come from the TV. It does not come from the greatest debaters and the great philosophers of the world. But it comes from God. For those that are still in Proverbs, look at chapter 2. Still going on, verses 6 and 7, we read it already. But the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He's the one who stores up sound wisdom for the upright. In other words, you can imagine His house, if you can imagine a pantry, He keeps storing up wisdom. Why? So He can give it out freely. That's why James is going to say, if you lack wisdom, ask. Why? Because He has a pantry full of it, ready to give to those who ask. And as we'll see as we continue, He gives liberally and generously. According to Scripture, men and women in their fallen state, they cannot be wise. They cannot. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how intelligent they are. But man and men and women in their natural state, the Scripture says, cannot be wise in the eyes of God. The Apostle Paul states in the letter to Romans that because men knew God and did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, he says they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he says, even though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. 
And here's the key. Do you want to be a wise man or a foolish man? You get to make the choice. And it has nothing to do with your IQ test. It has nothing to do with your learning ability or any learning disability. God gives wisdom. The fool is one. If you truly want to know a fool, what a fool is, you can write this down. Get this on the back of your notes so you understand this. Write it in your Bible. You see, the fool is one who does not take account God or take God into account in their decision-making. That's what a fool is. A fool is one who does not take God into account in their life. The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. We celebrated his day, April 1st, Atheist Day, right? A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because he does not take God into account. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Before you sit there smug, have you been a fool this week? In what ways have you made decisions today, this week, without ever going to God and saying, Lord, what should I do? It could be a financial decision, maybe a big one. It could have been in a relationship. Should I love my husband? Should I love my wife? Should I forgive? What should I do with my time? How should I su handle this suffering and these trials? Should I live? Should I, should I live in an apartment? Should I live in a house? Should I move? Should I go? All these things God has said, a fool is one who never goes before God and takes God into account. A fool is one who goes to a movie and never takes account what God would think of that movie or that TV entertainment that you're taking place in. That is a fool. They live their life as if God is not around, that they will never stand before a holy God and give account of their actions. I dare say today that there are many foolish Christians here today. And I'll rate my, this hand and say that I've been one of them. Do not be the fool. In all areas of your life, we take account of God. You see, wisdom is a precious gift that the world does not get. They cannot attain it. It is not something available to them. It's something precious given to His children. Wisdom is something that God gives only to His children. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but we've received the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolish to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Would you change, would you grab hold of your birthright today? Of that inheritance? God says that you and I are to walk in wisdom. You and I are to be wise men and women, taking account that there is a God who knows what's best. And obviously you and I know that the beginning of wisdom, how do I get it? It begins, as Proverbs tells us, with the fear of the Lord. For it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and despise instruction. Let me share with you something. This is a little bit, so just stay with me if you would. John Walton, 
And Andrew, in their book, The Old Testament Today, write this, uh, writes, writes this statement. And listen to this. This is very interesting. This is how the, the ancient world thought. Okay, So maybe this will help us understand. They write, perhaps we can best capture the biblical way of understanding all of this by thinking in terms of worldview integration. Okay, how all things fit together. He says, in the ancient world, including Israel, order was an important value. Order. We, same here today. We love order. We do not want chaos. Creation brought order to the cosmos. Law brought order to society. Etiquette brought order to human relationships. And politics brought order to governance and authority. Ancient wisdom can be understood as the pursuit of understanding and preserving order in the world. Wisdom is present when order is perceived, pursued, and preserved. The people of the day wanted their worldview to fit together like a puzzle. Don't we? Some of us are like that. Fully integrated with each piece placed in proper relation to others. They saw the fear of the Lord as the keystone to that process. Fear in the Lord means that we take His person and His role seriously. Order in the cosmos can only be understood through the acknowledgement of the one who brought order. Order can only be preserved in society and in life by understanding God's requirements and expectations. How can we have good relationships with our wives and our friends and our neighbors if we don't know what God requires of us? In this way, wisdom can be seen to transcend the basic knowledge or skill related to particular disciplines. See, you and I face the consequences of politicians and educators and, and parents and, 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 and bosses who are not wise. Attempting to bring order, they do not take God into account. Why? Because there's no fear of the Lord. They believe that their own systems are based in their own goodness and their own moral value, never realizing that there is a God who has set order in place. Hence, in our battle with joy in the midst of suffering and trials is one of recognizing the source and purpose that they play in our lives. For you and I to grumble and complain is to pronounce that God is not good and is not wise. We would join with the foolish and not those that were wise. Only with wisdom can you and I find joy in the darkness that sometimes you and I live in. Now, there's some barriers to those wisdoms. There's some barriers. One of that is mental indecision, and we'll look at that as we go. Do I want God or do I want... How, we're like that. We're like that ping pong that's going over the net, you know? One side over the other. We can't decide which side of the fence we want to stand. You and I just want to stand here, and we want a little bit of God, and we want a whole lot of the world. We really only want Jesus to be our therapist and our problem solver when this gets too much. Hey, if this gets too much, if this is yanking, just give me a yank, okay? Remind me that you're there. How foolish. Inner moral conflict. Those things in which we're still struggling with unconfessed sin and our own desires that just torture us and the cravings and the appetites that still pull us out. And then distrust of God. And we'll be looking at those three as we continue on in this series Fourthly, there's, we're getting close here. Stay with me. 
is the fourth is God's promise to strengthen us through wisdom. Proverbs tells us, For wisdom will come to your heart, knowledge will be pleasant for your soul, discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, delivering you from evil. That is God's promise. If you need God to be pleasant in your life, then grab a hold of wisdom. He says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, if you're still there, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gold and silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. I love Proverbs. One day we'll take a summer and go through it. But Proverbs, especially the first seven chapters, is the story of two women. One who is wisdom that calls out and says, come to me. And the other is the fool, the adulteress that calls out, no, come to me. I'm much more attractive. Unfortunately, many of us are hearing the cry of the second rather than the first. But we only find satisfaction in the call of wisdom. God calls you today to reap the benefits of walking in wisdom. If you find yourself struggling through your sufferings and through your trials and in your journey, then God commands you to walk in wisdom. Hear the words of God and do them. Ask, and He says, Thou give. The results of walking in wisdom, number five. The result of walking in wisdom is humility, not pride. You can tell those that are walking in wisdom because they're they have a humility. There's not a pride. There's not, a, there's not the, that arrogance that comes from them. Intellectual knowledge puffs up one's ego, the Bible tells us. But without understanding, knowledge is wasted space in the brain. That's all it is. It's just wasted space. And I think many of you, may, our minds may be filled, but it's like a sponge that just is just leaking water. Because we're not maintaining or containing the things that are important. The result of walking in wisdom is finding life and receiving favor. Proverbs 8.35 says, Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Let me give you a caution, though. The wisdom that God gives is not all-encompassing. And that's where you and I struggle. For there will still be times that you and I will not understand what God is doing. We may cry out, Lord, why? But His answer just comes, grace is sufficient, grace is sufficient. There may even times you cry out and it seems like it's just crickets. But this should not lead you and I to frustration or to anger or despair, but a greater dependency on God. And this only comes by walking in wisdom. Let me close with this. As Christians, we know that true wisdom emanates from God. For it's His attribute that He freely gives to you and I. And He has mercifully chosen to reveal His wisdom to us. Number one, through His Son. For it says that Jesus is wisdom. In beginning to examine what true wisdom is, we can understand wisdom of consisting of two things. Thinking and right doing. Right thinking without doing is the foolish man from Matthew chapter 7. And then you and I, without right thinking, we really can't do right doing. So you and I need both. We need God's word and we need to do it God's way. 
what happens is, is we may hear God's word, but we do it our own way. Or we listen to our own way and try to still do it God's way. It doesn't work. It's a match set. You see, wisdom is thinking about the way or about life, the way the creator of life thinks about it. We need to see life and think about it that the way God sees it, not how we see it. It's seeing things as they truly are. And we need that because when we're in those valleys, when we're in those pits, when we're in those miry pits, and we're desperate and we're despairing, you and I do not see life the way it truly is, do we? Do we? No, we don't. God is always right in His perception of things. You and I need His wisdom, His discernment, His understanding so that you and I can make decisions based on reality, the way things truly are, and not the way that you and I perceive them. And probably the most tragic example of this is someone who's undergoing so much depression and so much struggle in their life that they feel that they cannot go on. And they take their life. Their view of perception is here. And God says, but that's not your life. Let me ask you, what makes an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl to commit take her own life because a boy doesn't like her or some girls are making fun of her? We need wisdom. We need to reach out and help those that don't have it. Not only in our own lives, but that wisdom is needed. I need your wisdom. You need mine. We need each other. You and I, many times, we're going through life and we're struggling. Let me tell you, all that we can see is our pain. All we can see is our struggle. And sometimes we need someone who just come by and says, here, let me share with you. This is not life. Let me show you what life really is. We need that hand. Maybe today you have this. You understand this. You are a wise man and a wise woman. And don't keep it to yourself. Use it. Reach out. Help those that might be struggling. I'd like to leave you with wisdom's plea and promise. It's found in Proverbs chapter 9. You can join with me. Where it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here, she cries. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. I believe James, who was very Jewish in his thinking and his teaching, was probably thinking of these verses when he says, Walk in wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. I pray, Father, that you would impress on our heart that we may examine ourselves, that we may see if we're walking in wisdom. Are we seeing life in the way that you do? Do we have right thinking and right doing? Expose the ways that we are not taking account of you in our life and decisions. Expose it. May we confess it and repent of it. And may you establish our steps and order our walk. We pray this in your name. Amen.
We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.